We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? I bet I know the answer to that question. Oh, I hope I know the answer to that question. What a, what a world at Knicksville where the conversation the day after uh, one of three second round playoff wins in the last 23 years was how good we deserve to feel slash how bad people should feel about feeling good for the like oh my god i can't um stay off twitter friends it's just my my piece of advice anyway to hear here to talk about what was i think a really really good win and an important win for this team and and dare i say this franchise uh tom piccolo how you doing my man hey john i'm doing well man thanks for having me back and i will say it's a little bit more complicated i think than than you're making it out to be i, I i'll say while i was watching that game while I was watching it in the moment, I was pretty upset. <laughs> I was like, I was deeply agitated. Um, I don't blame you. And I will say that you know, the more distance that it comes between the the game and and now is, uh, I'm feeling better every moment that goes by. You know what I mean? Like I have a completely different outlook about this win. You know, less than 24 hours removed, but immediately after, like in the moment, I had a hard time enjoying it and i you know regretfully but but now i i kind no. of will rewatch it I, I feel better about it now don't say that don't say regret look I, alex who's a patron of ours because I, I i got on my high horse today i'm on the on my in the substack uh chat and i was like look let's all feel good about this and there's reasons why we should feel good about it given where the team is you know and and you compare where they are in their process and how much pedigree they have and what they've been through over the last bunch of years and where they were like four years ago or even last year compare that where we're, we're essentially all the other teams left in the playoffs are, you know, we should feel good about this. Right. And then I was, I was doing my Ted talk thing. And, uh, and Alex, again, is one of our patrons just like respectfully stop telling people how to feel. And I was like, you know what, Alex, you're right. I shouldn't <laughs> tell people how to feel. Um, so on, on that note, like there's, I, I don't know. There's zero issue with like, being absolutely aggravated and any other negative emotion you want to say while watching the game. And I actually think that that was completely reasonable because like something, even if like the reality of the game and we could talk, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Like 
the the situation obviously changed when Jimmy Butler went out. And like, yes, their best player is missing. At the same time, and I several people talked about this today. I know um uh DJ Zulo did uh in one tweet that I saw from him. Like, did Miami get better? No, they didn't get better. They're not a better team without Jimmy Butler, but, the, but they become different to guard. It's a different challenge. It doesn't mean it's not still a significant challenge. But as fans, I I'll just speak for myself. Once you know, like, okay, Butler's out, we have our guys, like that's a very tough mental hurdle to get over. So that I mean, I think that that's what led it for me at least being in the game and being like, man, this is really annoying. Yeah. And I think what kind of led to that feeling for me was just kind of a perceived lack of attention to detail and an mm-hmm. urgency to start that one. And and I was just, I really wanted to see the Knicks come out laser focused. And just stick it to the the heat, and and to to the point where you know our guys who are a little banged up, your Randalls, your Brunsons, that they wouldn't even have to play in crunch time. That's a, that was my goal going into this was to see that, and and when it didn't happen that way, I was pretty agitated throughout. But um, like I said, as I kind of went back rewatched some stuff, I I feel much better about it. So I don't know if you want to talk about some of those. Yeah, so let's do that. So I, I think like the biggest thing for me is like. I, the thing I can't really get get around, get past is like Miami does have three point shooters who are capable of being really good. And we saw them be really good. And then it puts, you know, the onus on the defense to figure out like how to stop that. And I think to your point about being aggravated in the moment, I don't think they did a very good job in the moment because it was kind of a, a different sort of challenge, but no, I'll just, I'll toss it to you. What did you see on rewatch that you either really liked that you didn't like as much like wherever? Well, we all saw in game one, just how things kind of fell apart when the shots weren't falling, the, the, the three balls weren't falling. And that led to just the ball getting a little sticky and, you know, some bad plays, some bad turnovers over dribbling, things like that. And I thought in game two, there was more of a, a commitment to making the right basketball play. And I think that that's what this team has to do is like be committed to the point of stubbornness. Like, I don't care what the results are going to be. Like I'm going to kick it to Josh Hart in the corner and and he's going to take this shot. And you know, there's something that happens when the right basketball plays are made not to get like mystical or cosmic about it. But like when guys are involved, when the ball moves, there is an energy to it. You hear guys talk about this all the time. If you've played, you know, like when, when guys are left out and and not a part of the offense, if they're just, you know, kick the ball in the last second, they're not going to hit that shot. Like, you know, how many, there are only so many guys who can hit that shot consistently, but when everyone's kind of feeling involved in the balls moving around when players are moving and the right basketball plays being made, there's just something about it that we saw with Josh Hart back to back, three pointers in the fourth quarter. Like those are the only two threes he made all game. He didn't want to shoot many more than that, but he, he hit them. And the, that was just Julius Randall and, and others making the right plays. Yeah. And you know, it's, I, I can imagine, I really, I, I want to just double down on the praise of Julius Randall again. Like we talked all last year about how, you know, how accountable Tom Thibodeau could really hold a guy who was, you know, just an MVP candidate and just all NBA and the whole thing. And like, do you, how do you bench a guy like that? And this, that, and the other thing. And there's this guy on the court in the fourth quarter, willingly, like he's, he doesn't take a shot, which is like, sounds like a weird thing to compliment and a star player in the NBA for, but I feel like it absolutely deserves kudos because he was just doing what the, 
game dictated to him that he should do, which is like get the ball on the move, put pressure on Miami's defense. They bring help, kick it out. And his three assists led to the three biggest shots of the game. Yeah, and, and to me, Randall was the biggest story in this game. Randall being back. And I, I put out a little video on uh, on social today where I said that I felt like Julius Randall was the most important player on the Knicks going forward in this series. And I just think like his spicy. The Knicks need his shot making. We all know that. Yeah. But they also need his just force and his gravity, as we've all said before. But I thought he was just an absolute beast on the perimeter in this one. And especially against a 2-3 zone where like he's matched up against perimeter players. That's how the 2-3 zone works. He's going up against guards and forwards are trying to keep Julius Randle out of the paint. And they're not able to do it. Like on some of his biggest plays, he was maxed, matched up against, you know, Caleb Martin. Yeah. And he Gets to Caleb Martin's outside shoulder. And, you know, Martin's strong, but like I said in the video, he's not Julius Randle strong. He can't keep him out of the paint. And so Randle was able to draw two. He kicked it to Josh Hart in the corner, swung it to RJ for a three. This was in the third quarter. And it's like, you know, Julius Randle doesn't get any box score credit for that, but he made that play happen. And it, he caught the ball with 10 seconds left on the shot clock against a set Miami defense. This wasn't a beat a closeout situation. This wasn't attack a scrambling defense. This was Mitchell Robinson had caught the ball in the middle, didn't know what to do with it, and kicked it out to Julius Randle. Randle has to go up against Miami defense completely set, and he goes and creates something out of nothing. And that's, I mean, that's what he can do. And that's what he did over and over in this game. And I, you know, I don't care if Jimmy Butler comes back and what is Jimmy Butler going to guard him on like a bum ankle or, and if he does, then who's guarding Jalen Brunson? Like if there's a cascading effect yeah. of Julius Randle's presence. I think it's funny you bring that up. By the way, just one, one more thing on Randall, just even going back to the last series. I Look, he didn't shoot it well at all. He, I think I went through it of the like, 60 most high volume or high usage guys in the last in the first round. I'm pretty sure his effective field goal percentage was the lowest. It was him and then Dylan Brooks who shot so bad. And th- there were some other things too, but the, his team told him to politely to, to go home and not come back. Um, so yeah, Julius was not good, but like I didn't, I didn't mind his process. Like we've seen bad process, Julius Randall, right? Like I'm not, and I'm not saying his process for the Cavs series was perfect, but I, I didn't think it was like egregiously bad, maybe with one or two exceptions here or there. But I, I like I I feel like you could kind of sense this coming. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just having selective memory, but I'm like, I'm not. Sh- I, it's crazy to say I'm not shocked by how Randall played in this in this game. No, I think maybe the thing that surprised me most was in that first quarter, he had two just complete straight up blow buys by Bam Adebayo. Like. Bam and a bio ready for him one on one, basically, basically an ISO. And his yeah. first step blew by the perennial defensive player of the year candidate. And I was like, whoa, yeah. there just aren't a lot of guys who can do that. There are not a lot of bigs who can do that. And the fact that Bam even had to guard Randall was a really big deal. Like Randall took nine threes in this game. Um, he hit three of them. That's fine. Like, I Ups. guess we'll, sign we'll, me up. Yeah, we'll take yeah. that. But the fact that he was that willing to take him and, and keep the defense honest, Bam had to go leave the paint to contest Randall's threes. Like that was just, it opened things up in the middle too. So like Randall's presence means so much more than just how many points he scored. So like, look, Miami's defense is as complex and like they could do so many different things. And obviously they have the zone that they could go to. They played the entire freaking game for the most part in uh, in this crazy zone uh, last night. I still think, I still think it's about the match. I, I, this series still comes down a lot to the matchup. So 
you think they'll keep essentially slotting Bam on Randall for the most part? If you if you had to guess, is that what you would do? I think that they're going to have to just because, I mean, I don't know who else necessarily would check them. I think, you know, we saw a little bit in the Cleveland series that they were willing to put some smaller guys on Julius and to try and like bait him into some of his worst tendencies. Like, oh, go ISO and post up on this guy and, and take some bad shots. I mean, the Randall's process in this game was just, it was elite. It was from the very start. He was throwing, he was driving, kicking to Jalen Brunson for the first three of the game. He was throwing that ridiculous cross court pass to RJ. I mean, he was, he was getting doubled. Yes, but he was then making the correct play over and over again. And I hope that that's reinforced to him. You know, I'd imagine it is by Tibbs just being like, that's exactly what this offense needs. I, I mean, I gave my game, you know, high highest award to Jalen Brunson for for obvious reasons but I I hope in the locker room I think it would be really cool if they singled out Julius as being like you're you know if they do a game ball I don't know if they do a game ball but that would be cool because he absolutely deserves it so if if Bam's on him because they just don't feel like they have a choice um, obviously that opens up the offensive rebounding because all the respect to Kevin Love I don't think that's I don't think that's a matchup the the Heat are going to win and then and then it's what do you do with Butler and then it's that's where, and I, I can't wait to ask you about this. So this this I knew I was going to bring up. How's your how's your RJ Barrett stock doing? Because uh, I, <laughs> I know you didn't sell any of it. I know. Well, you didn't look, sell and it. I mean, uh, some people might have quibbles about that because because you know very early on in the season, you and I hopped on a pod, and I I forget like I think it was called like numbers don't lie or something like that. We named it something of that nature, and it and it was pretty harshly critical of RJ before things really started to look bad. Like it was just kind of projecting what we'd seen and just being like, this is not the road we want to go down. So, I mean, you and I preseason, everyone knows, I I mean, I was all in on RJ making a leap this year. And uh, when that didn't happen, I I was quite disappointed and and it was, it was difficult, but like just watching him these past, was it five games has been, I didn't expect this. Like I didn't expect this so soon. It was like he flipped a switch, you know, against Cleveland in that first game, we saw the six assists. We saw the right, you know, decision-making, but just the, the increase in finishing around the basket in, in knowing when to attack and in getting into the right spots and, and RJ against the two, three zone, he's, he's good. Like he's good about getting to the middle. There are a few guys, him and Josh Hart in particular, I think are, are very good about being in the right space and then making the right play. And, and like knowing when to cut and suck in the defense, um, RJ is particularly good at that. So like, it's not like RJ is just putting up scoring points either, right? I gave that praise to, to Randall. Yeah. RJ is doing little things too. He's he's doing things on the defensive end, and he's he's setting screens on that first three uh, Jalen Brunson three pointer of the game. RJ set a nice pin in in the corner to free that up. Like he's doing little stuff too that catch your eye. And it's like he wasn't doing this during the regular season, right? It's not like we were just missing it. You know, well, something's no. changed. Yeah, and that's I. It has you have to term it as a leap to say that this is anything other than a leap. And like again, I'm I'm not on social media as much as I used to be, but I'm sure that there are people who are like, you know, see all you people who are crazy for bashing him all along. Like, look at this this player that you were bashing. No, this is not the this is not the player we watched this year. It's just it's not the same guy. This is a different. This is a materially different basketball player in in just about every way. When you consider how like how many like truly complete like these are I, 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 yeah I know he didn't finish that well in like the last two games right these are these are five complete games 
for him. Like if we were talking about a starting pitcher in baseball, like he went, he went seven innings in, in each of these games. Right. I mean, and he was shouldering, seven. shouldering the offensive yeah. load, keeping us in games when in the biggest moments of his career, like it's, you can't say enough good things about this guy. And you know, like even if his scoring, like the efficiency were to fall off a bit. Right. So he was eight of 17 from the field uh, yesterday. He was five of nine from three. That doesn't have to sustain for him to still be in a, a very effective player, right? It and is, you, it is everything else that's happening. You talked about this. This is what you talked about in your in your preseason article. You're like, look, the relentlessness with which he drives, mm-hmm. it, he doesn't have to be perfect. There just has to be a, like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like a baseline of competence that just get above that where you're such a threat. And he's, he's exceeded that. Like, sure. there's no question about that. For sure. I mean, he's just been bludgeoning the defense and it's, it's, <laughs> it's over and over again. And the, it is a relentlessness. Like, there's, there's only a few words you can use to describe it. And, and the fact that he is comfortable, you know, catching and shooting on threes now, like that, that's huge too. Like that was something that was desperately being missed. It, it's changed and, and like, everything. Yeah. Like, is that going to stay? I mean, you know, he had that tweak that, what is it like he moved the ball further to his left or something like that? Like Drew Hanlon changed his shot technique a little bit and it seemed to have made all the difference. And if it, you know, whether that was physically or mentally, it doesn't matter because it's the results are there. The results are absolutely there. And I think it does create some interesting questions for Miami because, and this is where, I mean, it's funny. The Oladipo injury happens and I know, like when it happened, I felt bad for him, obviously, because he's, I mean, just talk about a guy whose career has gone sideways, but like his presence in this series, not that he's like some oral world defender, but he's like, a, a, I think he's a guy that could have maybe thrown on RJ and felt like maybe okay about it, or at least better than any of their other current options. Cause now it's like, okay, well, I, I guess they're other, I'm talking, if you assume Butler stays on Bronson for the most part, then it's like, okay, well, do we start? like Caleb Martin and do we sit Kevin Love, which maybe, I don't know, maybe they, they pivot to that or is it, you know, you want to keep going with Max Struess? I don't, I don't know how well that's going to work. It's, it's interesting because like there are things that they are doing and that he's doing that are working. And at the same time, it's funny that you mentioned Josh Hart because, you, and you said in, in the kind of the thing that both him and RJ do well is they just quick, like decisive attack. No, RJ has also been shooting, and and Hart has also been shooting, but I think the big, the other big theme coming off of, theme coming off of game two is like something's different when Grimes is in there, and and Benji talked about this on the post game last night, and you also had a great um, uh, clip of Grimes. I think it was on the defensive end um, after the game, talking about like his value. How do you think Tibbs should kind of juggle? these pieces and I haven't even brought up the name of Emmanuel quickly who I know is struggling, but like for most of the season we were like, Oh yeah, there's the Knicks third best player. It's obvious. You know, it's like, what, what, what are you thinking about all this? I think with quickly struggles, which have been really hard to watch as I, like, you know, quickly has been my, I, I called him my favorite player on the team to watch. And in this past season, he certainly was that it has been difficult, like playing nine minutes in a game when he was our third best player all year. And, and not just that, but just, I, I mentioned Wild. this on, on Twitter, like just so integral to our identity, to the team's identity, to just the, we, the word we used was like spontaneity that he brings yep. to the game and just the verve, like he, he, the fact that that's not there right now, that's damaging to the entire bench. And, and the bench was seen as a strength coming into this series. The Knicks depth was something I just 
put in pen. Like that's something that the Knicks have on this heat team. And that hasn't been the case. Right. And so, you know, Obi struggled, but he's been good all playoffs. So I don't want to kill him for, for one bad game. He was particularly bad. He was very bad. But the thing is like the, the beauty of having this kind of depth is that, you know, one, one year bench guys can have a terrible game and that's okay. We can survive it. And that's all to say, I really do think that Josh Hart, it's tough to watch these games and be like, you know what the Knicks need is fewer Josh Hartman. I was about to say, right? Like that's not that's not what I'm saying, but yeah, I do but, think that moving him to the bench is the right move and like keep his minutes the same, have him close games, sure, but the bench desperately needs a jolt, right? And quickly is not providing that, and I think Josh Hart is more, you know, capable of doing that versus Quentin Grimes, who just kind of fits alongside the other high usage guys in the starting lineup whose defense and spacing is just more valuable to that group. And Josh Hart, I think, would be just such a benefit to the bench unit who needs it. They need it so bad. Yeah, I, it, I totally agree with you. Like, on paper, it makes sense. Like, you, you see how Grimes has been. I thought he looked good yesterday. Look, Grimes' minutes were good minutes. I mean, he played like 25 minutes, so he, he got a nice chance. Like, that's been the interesting thing, because, like, to go from... 10 minutes in game one to, I think it was about 25, right? It was, I, yeah. Yeah. It was about 25 minutes for Grimes in game two. Like it, it's very clear that Tibbs trusts Grimes, which coming off of the Cleveland series, obviously he got injured midway through the Cleveland series, but like he had made one shot in the first however many games he played. Like I, if you told me like, Oh, is, is he still like on the inside of Thibodeau's circle of trust? I wouldn't have been very sure. I think Tibbs still trusts Grimes, which is what, again, makes it interesting that and especially because if there was ever a, a, an excuse, excuse is the wrong word, an opportunity to flip it back to the way it was and put Grimes in the starting five, it was the game where Jimmy Butler's not playing, and that was game two. So I'm looking at that and I'm like, man, is is he going to go back? I, I don't get the sense that he is. And then it's like, okay, well, why wouldn't he go back? And the only answer I come up with is he's like, well, I'm gonna. I'm going to start my five best guys and um, we're going to try to figure it out. Now, can they do that? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it depends on a few things, right? Like uh, Jalen Brunson finding his three point stroke in that second half was a big deal, right? He was pulling up off the dribble. You know, guys couldn't go under his screens. Guys had been going under Jalen Brunson screens, right? Like that's not something we saw a lot in the regular season. He he had been shooting like 30%, I think. Yeah. Oh, there was no reason to chase him over, but like, you know, that's kind of where we'd, we'd gotten. So like Jalen Brunson wasn't providing shooting, you know, Julius, Julius Randall, like his three ball kind of comes and goes. So, and then, and then RJ, RJ finding his three point shot is, is just so, so huge. So like, it just depends on how these guys are shooting. Right. But if you got Brunson shooting well, Randall shooting well, RJ shooting well, you can survive Josh Hart and Mitchell Robinson together, but it's when that shooting falls off that it kind of becomes untenable. Yeah. And I I mean, my, my thing, my hill that I'll die on is it's like, I think Grimes is the sort of rhythm shooter that like, if you give him 10, three point attempts in a game, you're going to get better results all the time. than if you give him three or four, three point attempts in a game, like he's just going to be. And like, again, it's like a chicken or the egg thing. You can go look at his game logs and be like, Oh, all of the games he shoots a ton, like he shoots better. Well, that's also a little bit of like, if a guy's feeling it, you're going to feed him. Gone. So yeah, you know, so I don't, I don't know how much that really proves. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I, you know, it's interesting you brought up Obi. 
I, I don't want I don't want to bash. Before you. we go to Ovi, can we just I want to talk yeah, a little sure. bit more about Josh Hart and Please, like, yeah. We can, we can talk about Josh Hart all the time. I, I love well, talking about Josh Hart. Well, so he he did have a team high nine assists to just one turnover in that game. And I, I do yeah. think it's just his ability to read the zone so well. Like he what he was doing so well was he was he's still getting guys to bite on his pump fakes from three, which is pretty incredible. Um <laughs> Yeah. But then he's driving baseline or he's driving middle and he's just always finding the guy that the heat don't expect. So like when they come down and crash down in the corner to make, to like stop the corner pass, he's spraying it out to the wing. If if they're keeping the, the wing covered, then he's getting into the corner. Like he's just, he's reading the defense perfectly and he's making plays that like look pretty simple, but you know, they're not like not, if they were simple, everyone would be doing it. The, the play that stood out to me was the one where he took kind of a one dribble with his right hand and live dribble whipped it to the corner for an RJ. Th- I think it was an RJ three. This um, was in the fourth quarter. Sorry, it, was a, it was a Randall. Was a Randall three? Um, I mean, he had so many assists. It's tough to. It's it, it, there's there's many to consider. Yeah, <laughs> but it was a it was basically a one dribble whip to the corner for an open three. Yeah, and it was just like the perfect reading of the zone defense. It was like the the first. It was really the first play of the game where I was like, oh, the Knicks get it they know they know like how to to handle this zone defense now it's just a play, exactly a play like that so you know josh hart is is huge in, in that kind of capacity and playmaking so, as well didn't you just answer the question as to like why to i mean look trying to look inside the mind of tom Thibodeau's talk about futile exercises um but like isn't that kind of the answer to the question because i think in tim's mind when it when it when you're in a playoff series against a team like this and a coach like this, and don't think for one second Tom Thibodeau doesn't know exactly what he's up against in, in Eric Spolstra. Um, you know, like I want my guys on the floor who know exactly what the right play is to make every time, and they're capable of making the right play every time. Now, sometimes the right play is to shoot when open, and sometimes you know, the shooter is not the guy you want necessarily shooting because they're open for a reason. So it's like, there's that weird dichotomy, but like, I think the way and you phrased it much, much better than I could, but I think that's kind of, if he does stick with this moving forward, I feel like that's the reason the one pushback that I want to offer. And all I could think about when hearing you talk about the benefit of having Josh Hart out there to do, to make these sorts of plays is you know who he always seems to hook up with and, and you know, it has a cute little nickname, but it doesn't change the fact that it's a really good connection. And when these two guys are on the floor, magic seems to happen as Isaiah Hardenstein, who is obviously coming off the bench. So it's like, that's kind of another benefit of having Hart come off the bench because you match more of his minutes with Hardenstein. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, those, those guys are just two peas in a pod. They're both so smart. Um, yeah. and, and real quick, I did find this play, by the way, that I was referring is with, with about. So when is the, when's the play? It was about 3.30 left in the second quarter. Okay. And, um, yeah, Josh Hart got the ball on the left wing. RJ Barrett on the right wing cuts middle and kind of sucks in Kyle Lowry, who uh, who was guarding the, the perimeter. And Julius Randle was in the corner for the open three, and he hit it. So it was, it was a very nice uh, pass. But to your point, like, Hartenstein was just – you could argue he was one of the biggest reasons for, for winning that game. I just could argue. I saw, I saw Fred Katz's article in the athletic about just that, that like very long possession that included several <laughs> yep. Isaiah Hartenstein, you know, fouls drawn and offensive rebounds and tip outs and things like that. And like, even in the moment it felt like 
Hartenstein's intensity just changed everything. Like sometimes we'll get that sensation when Deuce McBride comes in and just yep. gives you that like in your face yep. on ball tenacity. And you're like, oh, like this, this kind of changed how the defense feels right now. That's what Hartenstein did. He came in with just a different level of intensity and changed the whole complexion of the game. <laughs> the <laughs> the the last of those I don't know they they put it as an offensive rebound, which I don't know like what is the official score is supposed to do because he didn't he it was literally like he was a, a a like an animal like coming out of some kind of like hole in the ground and he just like put his giant bear arm above like Bam Adebayo yeah. and just swatted the ball out it was it was like it's really funny I watched it several times today I was just laughing to myself like an idiot um, but yeah no he's he's really good he does things like that and he and by the way you know we talked as we should about all the illegal screens that Miami is getting away with. Cause it's just what they do. Like this is the type of series where an Isaiah Hardenstein, who like, he also is kind of sneaky in what he gets away with. Like Benji has been talking all year about, he kind of, or actually this may be Fred Katz. Like I forget. They both make so many good points. I forget who makes what points. Um, probably because they're on the same text thread. Uh, but like Hardenstein, like, leaning into guys so like, he's not pushing them it's not a, it's not a, like a foul or anything he's not like trying to push them over but he's just like putting all of his weight on them and it like it puts them in great position because how are you supposed to try to grab a rebound if this man if this 300 pound person or whatever he is 250 pound guy is like leaning on you i love isaiah hardenstein um i wouldn't be surprised if he played more minutes than mitch for the rest of the series would you no, I think he's been the better center in these past two games, certainly. Yeah. And that doesn't take away from what Mitch accomplished in the first round. He was exactly what we needed in that matchup. And again, the beauty of depth is, is you have different players for different matchups. And, you know, Hartenstein's very important for this for this one. Like on offense, his his passing is huge. His touch kind of from floater range, too, is just like keeps defenses honest. But for whatever reason, on the defensive end, like he's just kind of giving them more problems than, than Mitch is. And whether that's like his mobility or, or something, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but um, yeah, then the, I would hope to see at least as much Hardenstein in uh, in game three as Mitch. What's up Knicks fans. Quick break to tell you about game time. Is there an upcoming event you trying to get tickets to, whether it be tickets to one of the final home games of the Knicks season, or maybe it's a concert or a comedy show, whatever it is, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped up for the fun you're going to have. Currently browsing through the GameTime app, and I see all the events coming up in the area. Whether it's the Knicks' upcoming games against the Heat at the Garden, or the latest Mets and Yankee games on the schedule, the GameTime app is so easy to navigate. You can search by category, like sports, music, or shows, or search by teams, like the Yankees, Islanders, or Knicks. I have to say that my favorite feature is the full 3D peripheral view you get whenever you select a seat. Just select a seat that's within your price range, move the phone from left to right and get a good idea of the view you'll have during the event. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. 
Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. GameTime is also the fastest growing ticketing app in the country, and for a good reason. As I mentioned, get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, just two taps and you're set. Tickets are then sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code FILMSCHOOL for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account and redeem code FILMSCHOOL for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about Factor. During the spring season, you need wholesome, convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more active days and keep you on track for reaching your goals. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. Too busy to cook this May? With Factor, skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. Going off script for this next part because I personally can't say enough how clutch Factor has been over the last two weeks. I'm talking Jalen Brunson clutch. I'm talking Allen Houston with four seconds against the Miami Heat in 1999 clutch. Whether it's a huge playoff game followed by a late-night post game, I barely have time to prep and cook anything. So, Every time a post game has ended, I grab a factor meal from the fridge, put it right in the microwave, and in two minutes, I've got my dinner ready to go. The future Mrs. Claudio loves factor as well. With her busy schedule with meetings and writing reports all day, being just two minutes away from a healthy, well-cooked, pre-prepared meal is so convenient. This May, get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to factormeals.com slash filmschool40 and use code filmschool40 to get 40% off your first box. Again, that's factormeals.com slash filmschool40 and use code filmschool40 to get 40% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Uh, Obi, um, here's why Obi came to mind, not only just because you brought him up, but like we're talking about the minutes distribution. We're talking about like, I think that the who starts question for me is I'm not going to say it's not important. It is important and it is interesting. And I think it is. It's fascinating to see which way he goes for a variety of reasons. But like. I. I, I mean, I, I think these these games are going to come down to the end. It is really about who closes and who closes often is dependent on who who plays well, like throughout the game. The reason I, I brought up Obi is we know that Tibbs is, is comfortable because he did it against his team. Now he did it out of default because he didn't have Julius Randle and, and the lineup that he had out there was working. But like he, he had went small against his team during the regular season. He went small with the non-Brunson lineup. Basically, the four wings um, closing it out against Miami. That that win that kind of I think that was the one that, for all intents and purposes, sealed the playoff spot. And like he talked about 
you know, at some point, I think it was when Julius went down and it was before the playoffs, like we have RJ to, who could play the four. We have Hart, you know, we feel good about playing the four. Mm-hmm. With that, like, look, you said it's one game, right? I'm not, we're, here's what we're not doing. We're not sitting here killing Obi Toppin for a bad game. That's not what this is about. This is about this is a playoff series against a team that you can give no quarter to. And it's 2 2, and it's a five game series, and it's like every. It's just life or death. Every game is, is life or death. Every game matters. No concessions. I wonder if he, at some point in this series, cuts down the rotation and goes with whether it's RJ or Hart or RJ and Hart, because that is another way to get maybe more minutes for quickly, more minutes for Grimes, because if you could get some of your Hart minutes where he's at the four, and I just, I don't, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet. I just wonder, is that something that, when you look to the level that Obi struggled, in particular on defense yesterday, we could just call a spade a spade. Um, I just something that I was thinking about today. Yeah, I mean, you're right to bring up his defense. You know, I thought like a lot of guys struggled on defense. Uh, I don't know what the problem was. There was a lack of just Agreed. cohesion and communication, and you know, just like there was. I think there's a very reactive to everything. They're jumping on pump fakes, and and you know flying out on, on closeouts and things like that. Like very non Tibbs coached, very non Nixian stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Obi was a hundred percent, uh, an issue there, but I'm really not going to overreact. I think that was just a bad game for him. And like, okay. it, it, it could, it clearly got him down. Like you could tell his body language was bad. He was hanging his head after plays. Um, you know, in game one, Yes, he got the start because Randall was out, but he had 18 points, seven of 15 shooting. He got a lot of threes up, but he he was a plus minus just neutral. He was a, a plus minus zero in a game they lost by seven points. Like you know, he wasn't this like unplayable, you know, toxic asset. Or no, 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 no. I, I think that, yeah. I think that he can still provide that spark off the bench, and I think that you know he needs. I think that Josh Hart playing with him would be helpful. So, you know, push the pace, get in transition. That's, and just that's quickly, another option. Yeah. Quickly playing with that swagger again. Like, I, I just, we need him. We need Emmanuel quickly. <laughs> we need the guy who was runner up in sixth man of the year. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if he's going to show up. And, and I, I don't think, you know, even if he doesn't improve this playoffs, that doesn't change my like long-term outlook on Emmanuel quickly. I think no. we're just kind of evaluating him very much in the, you know, focusing on this. Well, let's, that's a that's a good place to to transition to Jalen Brunson because um, two years ago, the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> used the playoff series, which was not the best series for Jalen Brunson. And Jalen Brunson has talked about how, like, that series against the Clippers, where he was essentially benched for for Trey Burke, like, kind of motivated him to work on certain aspects of his game and make himself that like make himself a, the sort of player that like you can't just stick a big wing on him and basically take him, take him out of a game, which is what the Clippers did. And they kind of, then they neutralized him. Um, like you don't, you don't, you don't make decisions on, on players like Emmanuel quickly, you know, based on a, a playoff series or even a whole, a whole playoff run. So I'm with you there. Um, speaking of the player that the Dallas Mavericks thought um, that they 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 didn't want to offer a, a mid-level contract to They'll never uh, let them live them down. Let them live it down. I, it just, good. good. It you know, I, and I don't want to. Um, I I haven't finalized my my newsletter for tomorrow. I'm not sure if I'm going to include this or if I'm going to put it save it for later. But like guys who are doing what he's doing 
And like, when nobody's surprised what he's, that he's doing what he's doing in the playoffs because we saw him do it all year. Like the the dude, I just say this out loud: it LeBron James did not get any MVP votes, oh. but Jalen Brunson got one. It was only one, <laughs> but he got one. Do we know you who? Know? Whoever it is, like I don't care. It could be a New York writer. I, I it doesn't really matter to me. The fact, like someone thought to put Jalen Brunson fifth on their MVP ballot. Like just again. Think about that for a second. And he, he's, I think he deserves it. I think he probably deserved a few more fifth place votes um, because he changed everything for this team. Nothing that he's doing in the playoffs is remotely the least bit surprising. He's averaging 25 points a game in the playoffs. He's just had, you know, a 30 point game, um, which is not something that has been done many times in Nick playoff wins uh, over, especially the last uh, quarter century. I, he really, that's a point I was making. Guys like him don't, you don't just sign them off the street. Like when you get a guy like that in free agency, it is Kevin Durant. And I'm not saying Jalen Brunson's Kevin Durant, but it's like, it's a sweepstakes and a player who know, knows that they could turn down supermax money because they could break both legs tomorrow and they would still be a team to give them supermax money and sure enough Kevin Durant did tear his Achilles and there was a team teams lining up to give him all the money like that's the only time you're ever going to have players of this caliber just like hit free agency and this player hit free agency and we we just got him with just money that doesn't happen it just doesn't happen and it happened here to us and it's I think it's the most fortuitous thing to happen to the franchise. I I don't know since the Ewing pick, I, you know the the Ewing lottery ball. I, I really do feel like it's that important. I mean, his bounce back in Game Two was. I mean, it was legendary. It, it really was. Like he brought us home. Like it, that the Game One performance was weird because you know there was nothing out there about any like ankle tweaks or anything like yeah. that. Like you could tell watching that just everything was dreadfully short. He was stepping into threes, you know, momentum coming forward where usually you see guys hit back rim on those shots and not even and barely drawing iron. Yeah. It was very weird, but it was also, there was an issue where he just like wasn't manipulating the defense and like manipulating space like he normally does. He, he just like couldn't get to his spots. It, it was very bizarre. And it kind of continued in the first half of first game half, two. Yeah. He was one of six from the field. He still didn't look right. And the fact that he was able to like put all that behind him and just, uh, you know, what changed? Like maybe there was more space to work with and sure not having Jimmy Butler on him helps, but he just looked like he was able to just create that space. And there were a few opportunities that he took that we just didn't see in game one in, in crunch time. He finally got the post up on Duncan Robinson that he wanted. Like the, <laughs> the Knicks, you know, balanced fun. the floor, balanced the yeah. floor properly they got the switch. It wasn't even like a, it was his own defense. So he just got Duncan Robinson on him and just went to work. It was the first time where I was like, oh, that's that's vintage Brunson, like in the post, just giving the guy work. And so, um, yeah, the, the fact that there's three ball, he found his three ball too, is just, it's huge. So I'm, uh, I, I'm expecting that level of play to continue. Like maybe not the whatever, like 13 of yeah. or whatever he was, but like. I, um, I, I don't know for how many more 30 point games we're getting against this Miami defense. But I I don't think this is the last one we'll get, but like how we won this game with Jalen Brunson taking over essentially down the second half of the, the fourth quarter. Like I think the games that we win will look like that. 
and yeah. close games will look like that. Except on the other side of the court, I'm I'm guessing he's going to be back. It's going to be Jimmy doing his thing. Um, I the think this is sh- look out. The other thing I look out for, just real quick on him, is yeah. I feel like he's not getting to the free throw line quite as much. I, I know in the second half he didn't get there at all. Um, I guess he did finish this game with four free throw attempts, but even that feels a little low given how often he, I mean, he just gets into the paint so much and he takes so much contact. He's always on the floor. So it's it's such a physical style of play. Um, So I I would hope to see that number tick up because that's just easy points for him. It, it's one of the things everybody talked about his increase in um, pull up shooting this year as as they should, because it was, it was a life. It was a game changer for him. Um, but and look, he didn't have the ball as much because he played alongside Luca. He shot two point seven free throw attempts per game in Dallas last year, playing like thirty one minutes a night. This year, thirty four, thirty five minutes a game, nearly six free throw attempts per night per game. Like that sort of jump is, you know, I mean, you could look at even his game log, like in February of this year. He had three games or four, excuse me, four games where he took double digit free throw attempts. He had a nine, uh, a game with nine, two games, two games with eight. Like this dude lived at the line this year and it was a big deal. I I wonder how much of that, though, is just Miami like being disciplined, you know? Yeah, I I I know that's definitely definitely a part of it. It's just something I'm always looking for uh, from him. But just. You know what we saw all year from him, and what separates him is just the shot making. Like it, it, it's reductive, it's simplistic. It's just he gets the ball in the basket. Like he, he does it in all different ways, an array of different moves. But at the end of the day, like this dude's just an efficient scorer, and uh, and the fact that he was able to find it because the, the zone did seem to flummox him a little bit. And and yeah. I think another another thing to look at there would be like his assists. I mean, how many assists did he have last night? It couldn't have been many. Was it more than two? Like, no, I don't think it was a lot of assists, but I, I also don't. I feel like there have been a couple of times, a couple of stretches of games here in, or, or stretches in games, not stretches of games, stretches in games in the playoffs where he has forced it a little bit. I didn't feel like he was forcing it last night. Yeah, no, I just think that you know, in the playoffs, it seems like you need that just kind of physicality. Like that's what Julius Randle's bringing. It's why he and Josh Hart were leading this team in assists. Is just because like they can bend the defense in a way that's just like with more force and Jalen Brunson's doing it more with, with skill. Um, yep. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious to see if that trend continues though. Yeah. I mean, just, but in terms of like, it's the shot making, like look at the teams that are still left at this time of year. There are eight teams left. Five of them have a player who is, has won an MVP award. And that player is still in their prime or relative prime. And the other two guys who haven't won it, uh, or the other teams that don't have a guy that's won MVP have Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler, who are fairly accomplished players in their own right. Um, and then there's Jalen Brunson, um, who's the best player on our team. I, I, I really, I think this is going to be a great series from, from here on in. I think we're, I would not be surprised if the game's, moving forward, we're even closer than the games that we have seen already. Um, I think they just got to steal one in Miami. Do you, what's, we'll, we'll end with this. What is like, if it's something we've already talked about, that's fine. Or if it's something we haven't talked about, what's one thing you want to see? What's one thing you're curious about? Um, 
you know, over maybe you don't need to say like for the rest of the series, but just like something maybe you want to see the next game, next couple games, um, anything. Well, I mean, I think it's one thing that's kind of interesting is how we've talked about this Knicks team throughout this playoffs run as if it were just some like team that's incapable of three point shooting. And we've seen some of that bear out. But like this team during the regular season wasn't that bad of a three point shooting team. If you look at, you know, they were 17th on the year in percentage on catch and shoots and 19th in overall three point percentage. But after the all star break, I mean, they really went on a nice run there. They, I mean, they after the All Star break in twenty two games, they were eighth in catch and shoot three point yes. percentage. Like they were shooting the ball quite well. And you know, I just, I just think that like there are guys who can get hot. There are guys who can really shoot the ball on this team. I think you know, quickly finding his stroke is that a lost cause at this point? I'm still holding. I out don't hope. think so. I'm, I'm still holding out hope. Grimes, I think Grimes had, can like really turn it on. Again, this is not some like three-point shooting team that just like is throwing rocks at the basket. You know, what I mean, like this is a solid. I mean, all year they were maybe a little below average, but not much. You know what I mean? So I, I just think it's kind of funny the way this team got framed as like, oh, pack the paint. They can't shoot. Yeah, they can. Like, and I think that they will. So I think um, I don't think we're going to see a repeat of anything like Game One by any means. Um. No, I, I I completely agree with you. I think it's I think it's it's not so much that they're they're a team of guys that can't shoot. I think it is just an acknowledgement that they are a team full of players who would rather drive than shoot. Whereas like a team like the Celtics um, are like they they will drive. But they don't they don't drive nearly enough because all they like and I know this didn't this is not how game one went in that series where the Celtics actually did not take a ton of threes, but like by and large, they just they take a ton of threes and that's where they want to live and like that's where they're comfortable, even if at times you want to tell guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to like put your head down and go to the baskets. The Knicks don't have that problem. The Knicks want to put their head down and go to the basket. They will shoot, they can shoot, but it might not be their preference. Um what I was just looking up because I have a feeling. Yes. Okay. So I like to mark this next season as before December 4th and after December 4th or starting with December 4th, because December 4th is the Cavs game that started the eight game winning streak. December 3rd was when they got their ass kicked by Dallas. And uh, that after that, they went to the nightmare rotation up until December 3rd, which was the 23rd game of the season. Mm-hmm. The New York Knicks were the worst three-point shooting team in the league. They shot 31.9% from deep. So, like, when you're talking about their year-long percentage, and what did you just say? They finished the year... 19th, I think, in overall three-point percentage. Yeah, 19th in overall three-point percentage. That takes into account also that they spent a third of the season, almost. 23 games is close to a third of the season as being just, I mean, literally the worst three-point shooting team in the league. Um from December 4th on, so you, you cited the All-Star break, the last 22 games. From December 4th on, span of 59 games, 12th uh, in terms of percentage, uh, 36.7% uh, from downtown. Uh, and like the volume was like they were eighth in volume in right. terms of threes. Exactly. That, and that's my point. This is like, you know, the way we, they've been framed in this in this playoff run has been this non-shooting team and it's just not the case. So um they got to get back to that. 
that's one thing I'm looking for. The other thing I'd say is like, you know, every time you ask Tibbs kind of what he wants out of the offense, he's always bringing it back to playing with pace. And I've, I've just really liked when the Knicks have gotten out and run a little bit, especially RJ Barrett, who, I, I mean, when Gabe Vincent tries to check him early in a possession, he's toast. He can't, he can't even come close. Like I like RJ kind of seeking out that matchup and, and just being aggressive early in the clock. And I think that's going to, that pays dividends. I'm happy we ended here because like, it seems, it seems crazy as it was happening. And it's, it's a, even though it hasn't been that long ago, it seems a little nuts in retrospect. The Knicks had the third best offense in the league this year. And if you go by cleaning the glass, which filters out garbage time, they had the second best offense in the league, which again, you say it out loud. It's like, am I taking crazy pills? The reason that they were able to be that level of offense is because like you just brought up the shooting and you just brought up like RJ in terms of his shot making. But we already talked about Randall shot making. We already talked about Jalen shot making. They managed to balance those two aspects of their team perfectly. You know, like sometimes guys are going to make tough shots. Sometimes guys are going to shoot threes, but both of those things were on their terms, right? It was like on their terms when Brunson was going to take the impossible shot. And oftentimes he made the impossible shot. It was on their terms when one of those guys would kick out to a a three point shooter and that, and that shooter would fire away with a good shot because of the attention the driver drew. All of that was on their terms. Mm -hmm. Now you face a team that is able to oftentimes dictate things on their their own terms. So that to me is like if there was an overarching question, you know, for the rest of the series, I think that's it. Can the Knicks get back to playing the series on their terms in terms of how they want to operate on offense? Doesn't mean they'll win. Doesn't mean they'll hit enough shots. Like, but like they have to find that balance. Yeah, they have no, to find that balance. It's a great question. And and yeah, last thing I'll say is, you know, we focused a lot on offense here and obviously the defense has kind of been, if not the issue, certainly one of the main issues, but like to me, some of that stuff is just super easy to clean up. Yeah. It was like to be better. <laughs> just, yeah. Don't be just relax. Like don't be so jumpy on everything. Like don't overcommit. Don't overhelp. Don't over this and that. Like it, it's, it's not rocket science. And I think, they're going to be able to. It, some of that seems really easy to clean up, and I'm I'm feeling better about it. it um, yeah, it, I was watching a play in the fourth quarter where they. Oh my god, what what led to? Uh, oh, that's what led to this. They doubled. They doubled someone because oh, no, it was a pick and roll, and then like I think Hardenstein went with the with the shooter, and then the whoever was coming over the screen went with the shooter, and then obviously there needed to be a rotation to to hit the roller and. The, the ball was like pinging around or there was maybe one pass or two passes and like both grind, like Duncan Robinson like got like it was clear he was getting free. He was in the process of getting free mm-hmm. and both Grimes and quickly jetted to where Duncan Robinson was until I think it was finally Grimes who realized, oh, shit. Gabe Vincent doesn't have a man within 15 fucking feet of him yeah. at the top of the arc. And like I, Grimes got back, but it was too little too late. You know, Vincent made it three and it was just like that shit didn't happen during the regular season. No, that's, just like, quite, that's just clean it up. That's yeah, just clean it up. That's Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly. Like exactly. these guys, they're better than this. Like, be, you know, be better. I'm, I'm not pinning it on them. Like God knows everybody. That's just an example. Yeah. Yeah. That's just one no. example. But like the fact that, and, and I think it's an appropriate example because the fact that they're their most locked in and their most grounded defenders are sometimes the ones that are making these errors. It's clear 
they just have to you know calm down. I wonder so, maybe get maybe get on the road will actually help. You never know. I was gonna say I'm not I'm not worried about going to Miami. That's I'm not Miami an environment either. that's I think gonna scare or rattle this team. Like I think there's a lot of Knicks fans down there, and uh, I think they're gonna be comfortable. They've gone and won big games down there before. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I think it could be a nice change of scenery. I I completely agree, hundred um, percent. Yeah, uh, they've yeah, and they haven't had to go on the road a lot because they played now for their last five games at home. Interestingly enough, um, Tom, this was great. I realized at the top of the pot, I didn't say um, <laughs> Tom Piccolo from like I you know John Boy Media, the whole thing like I usually do. So plug, promote something, anything. Yeah, thoughts? I mean, you can listen to me on Talking Knicks uh, on your podcast platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. And on you know Instagram and YouTube, I'm under uh, Talking Knicks doing a bunch of like video breakdowns and stuff. So those have been fun to do. I put one out today. I mentioned earlier about Julius Randle. So you can check that out. And, and I'm sure there'll be more coming in the days between now and the next game. Yeah, man, we got some we got some time, um, which I, I don't mind the time. I'm just going to say that. I, I don't. <laughs> we all take I don't a breath. Mind. Yeah, I, 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 some people are like, come on, three games or three days. What are you doing? I, I don't mind the three days. All right. Uh, Tom, this is fantastic. Your insights are always appreciated and um, uh, admired, frankly. Uh, you do just amazing work. And uh, if you're I always say I always end with this plug. If you are not following Tom Piccolo on Twitter, what the hell are you doing? It is just I, you get the clips out with the analysis instantly. During the game, I don't know how you do it. The only one I've ever seen do it like you do it is the original GOAT, um, JB, back JB. in the early days in this film school. Um, but you, you're right there, man. You do it just as well as he did. Uh, it's 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 such a it's such a luxury to have um, as you're watching the game. And like, you know, five minutes later, it's like, oh, yeah, that big play. Well, here's the play again. And I could see it, you know, in, with the with the analysis. So you're the man. Thanks for coming on. Always appreciate you guys. We'll we'll talk again, hopefully, before the season's over. Sign all the way off. And <laughs> we thank you, listeners, <laughs> for listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, we'll be back with more funny games. Before you know it, we got a lot of stuff coming up in the in the days off. So fear not. Uh, content will be created and uh, hopefully consumed by you. So enjoy, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.